Hi, I'm Brendan Crowsdale, and welcome to The Land Party. I'm here with our producer and co-host, Andrew Nelson. I've had a whole new world stuck in my head for 10 years. Our recently converted to a dreadnought, Mike Nelson. No, Mike Nelson. <laughs> Mike Nelson. Again? Jesus, God, why did you make opening. me start over? <laughs> we don't do two takes. <laughs> Definitely don't do fucking three takes. I know no, what our outro is. <laughs> keep it rolling. <laughs> oh, God. So, Mike McLaughlin, how's life as a dreadnought? Uh, it's pretty great. It's not exactly life anymore. It's uh, living death for thousands of years while I serve the God Emperor, but pretty all right because i have an assault cannon for an arm okay and then the baron of the west end james lowry who's still sad about the last episode of vikings he watched oh no (laughs) well fuck that we're gonna talk about something that makes you happy (laughs) yeah we got a couple games we want to talk about that we're all playing lately Uh, and one of them that i want to dive right into is heroes of the storm uh for those of you don't know it's a MOBA that's being produced by uh, Blizzard. They announced it originally as Blizzard Dota two years ago at BlizzCon. Since then, it's gone through an alpha phase and is currently in a closed beta. Did they call it Blizzard Dota? They did originally, um, and then they <laughs> were like, nah, we'll call it Heroes of the Storm. Uh, presumably to avoid the copyright problems they're having now with Overwatch. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Well, let's talk about it, James. So you're in the closed beta as well. I've been in it since the alpha. I have a key, but I have not uh, downloaded it yet. I've watched a decent amount of it. I don't play MOBAs. Okay. I have a religion objection to it. That's You know, it's probably a better thing for your life. Really? It's so far served me well. So now, James, this is your first MOBA, correct? Correct. All right. So as as the layman coming into Heroes, what's your experience been like? Let us us know what's going on in this game. Well, uh, one of the things that I definitely have to point out is that it's probably the easiest, straightforward, most entertaining tutorial that I've ever been through. Mm. Um, And I do want to mention to people that if you've ever been involved in Blizzard's games, you know these guys because they've been talking to you. And that's uh, Michael... Makochi and let's see Robert Clotworthy. Now, if you know Uther Lightbringer, then you know Michael. Mm. And if you're a fan of Jim Rayner, then that's Robert Clotworthy, who's got those incredible Western tones right there. Oh, yeah. Jim Rayner's one of my favorite characters from StarCraft. And maybe I'm carrying on just a little bit too much about it, but these were two guys who I think are really solid, really steady, and it just kind of shows Blizzard's really good taste. Like, Mm. who do we want to bring people into this game? We want these two guys. And I also think it's awesome because... uh, with Michael Makochi, um, this guy's been voice acting for longer than I've been alive, and I feel like I've caught all of his stuff. So, um, are you talking about the tutorial? Are they the guys who bring you through the tutorial? Mm-hmm. Okay. I think this is actually something really good to hit on with the first reaction to the game, because the very first thing that I noticed coming into it originally is the production value involved in Heroes as compared to its two major competitors, League of Legends and Dota. Uh, Dota 2, I would say, of League and Dota is probably the better looking of the two MOBAs. Its recent visual upgrades have probably made it look marginally nicer than its competitor League, which has also had some visual improvements. But they are leagues behind how good they made Heroes of the Storm look and how well it runs. I do not have what you would call a gaming computer at the moment, or at least that I'm running it on. And it runs perfectly fine. Yeah. yeah, the new capture rig that we built for doing the Let's Plays, yep. that can run it, like, ultra maxed out. Yeah, you actually, uh, first experience I, I got watching it uh, was on your massive TV <laughs> with your PC hooked up to it watching you play this game. And it was, I mean, the resolution on that TV is, is great, but uh, I was very impressed with the UI. Mm-hmm. Um, I was impressed with, like, the pregame lobby and being able to go through your heroes and look at all the different skins. Yeah, so we're going to get into the mechanics of this first, but I want to see, James, so you got in and you, you're you trying mode for the first time. You're playing through the tutorial. Your background in PC gaming, I would say, is largely focused on RTS. Yes, very much so. So that's actually probably a nice entry point coming into playing a MOBA because they essentially are games that concentrate on micro. Um, what do you feel about the accessibility? I felt it was uh, very accessible. If you've ever played any Blizzard real-time strategies, or you've ever played any kind of real-time strategy with even a hint of micro to it, this is going to be very straightforward and very accessible for it, because you're only in control of one character. Now, you don't have a big army that you can manage, but the maps themselves are creating your armies that you end up working with, your minions or your creeps. And so... It's interesting because you get to be a part of a real-time strategy experience without having to carry the economy and industry on your poor, overtaxed brain. Hmm. 
which, you know, sometimes I like and enjoy having smoke come pouring out of my ears, but <laughs> it, it gets to be a little exhausting when you play people online who are pushing over a hundred actions per minute. You know, that's just, I, I'm sorry. I, you know, human cyborgs, they have a bit of an advantage on me. <laughs> well, and I'll say that too. I think, um, MOBAs as compared to playing Starcraft at like a high level, they require an incredible amount of strategic thought and understanding the way the game's set up. But I would say they rely more heavily on you understanding the current situation that's occurring in the game and the current heroes that are involved and your actual physical reaction time and processing power to just take an action when it's needed and it's much more timely and visceral. Yeah, you were, uh, you were talking before and I mean, I've, I've actually, I have, I have zero experience playing any MOBAs. I think Heroes of the Storm will be the first one that I uh, feel comfortable jumping into because we've talked before about uh, Dota and mm. League and all of the different heroes that you can play and all of the different abilities. And you you basically asked James, you know, how long it took him to get used to a character. He said 10 or 15 minutes to learn what all of the different abilities do. Yeah. You said that that makes sense. Now multiply that by 154 characters and the amount of time that goes into just learning the abilities, let alone how they interact. Right. And so I think diving into the mechanics a little bit here and the accessibility and how that relates to it, a game like Dota is not accessible. We've talked about the best guide that's on the internet for it, Hi, Welcome to Dota, You Suck, which is the first 2,000-hour <laughs> guide to get used to the game. And it's layering a lot of in-depth knowledge on you, and the burden for your success is based off of your knowledge of those that depth. And in Dota, accessibility is virtually non-existent. You have to learn about item economy, you have to learn about team experience management in a game where you earn your experience individually for your hero. You have to learn about map positioning. Mm -hmm. You have to learn about creep management. You have to learn about pushing strategies and how the lanes work. And in Dota, there's only one map and only one objective mode. See, that's that last point is what uh, has drawn me to Here's the Storm. Because for me, when I, I have played very like maybe one game of Dota, mm -hmm. and then I learned that there is a single map and a single game mode, and that really kind of it struck me as the people who are playing it. It's such a, a club of I know this so well that I know every single shortcut. That mm -hmm. if you don't have the two thousand hours played, you're fucked, and I'm going to exploit you. Which is exactly how Dota is. That can be the the quickest thing that can turn somebody away from a game. Like yeah. you run into, or you go in fresh to a first person shooter, and you show up on a brand new map for you with everybody who already knows the map, and you sit there, and it can be very frustrating because somebody who may not be as good as you are, can take you out consistently because they know their battlefield. Yeah. yeah. But I think that introducing uh, different play modes and different, um, or rather objective modes and different maps uh, allows a little bit more of um, inclusiveness of, of, of learning the game. Everyone's starting fresh. You can take your experience with previous MOBAs into this game yeah. and have a little bit of a leg up, but you're still learning different things. Well, I think, too, as far as counterparts go, Heroes of the Storm is closer to League in the sense that League has a couple of different maps and modes. It, you right. know, it has uh, more than just Summoner's Rift. It has a couple of different maps, and it has um, its uh, six-player crash only team fight modes mm -hmm. and a few things like that. I think there are a few factors about Heroes of the Storm that have created a stigma around it in the MOBA community as being a baby game that, in my opinion, are adding, that are adding accessibility that are necessary. The first massive change is team leveling. So individual heroes in Heroes of the Storm don't level. All cumulative experience is applied to all the characters on your team, and your team levels as a team. So any action you're taking is benefiting the entire group, and you're all pushing up together. So as a team, you're encouraged to do things like that. This gets rid of a lot of the problems you see in League and in Dota. Well, not necessarily problems, but strategic decisions that have to be made around carries. Because you have characters that deliberately need more farm to be more effective. There are carries in Heroes of the Storm, but not hard carries. There aren't characters mm -hmm. who are totally useless early game, only good end game. Right. And because of that, because they've eliminated the necessary management of the economy around, okay, this person has to get all the creep kills and I have to learn to deal with less gold and less experience... Removing that takes out that kind of gameplay, which is a deep and frustrating to learn kind of gameplay that also creates a lot of hateful interactions between people. If you get into a game of Dota and you're playing support and you're farming the carry's gold and you're farming the carry's experience, you are going to get verbally buttfucked by everyone around you because you're just ruining the game for your whole team. 
that's not something you will intuitively understand when you get into the game and you say, oh, I really liked the way Omni Knight looked. I wanted to play him. It says support. I'll help my team by healing. That's what I do, right? No. You're actually <laughs> supposed to buy wards and you're supposed to run around and not stay in your lane and help with team fights and be Johnny on the spot around the whole map and you actually pick the <laughs> hardest thing you can do and you'd never know that because you've only played the game 200 hours. How would you know? Right. Or say also in Heroes of the Storm, you'd sit there and have, say, a ranged assassin. So you think that you're going to be kind of sniping player characters and that kind of thing. But say for the Jim Rayner character, you discover that it plays much more like a support character. Mm. You want to work with your armies. You want to be able to use your minions and buff them and have them be effective. And so you find yourself a lot more doing um, kind of a weird, aggressive style of push and map control as opposed to what you'd normally think of an assassin is go and hide in the bushes and wait for this guy and ambush him and take him out which you do get a lot of people who, yay, they'll have very great scores at the end of the game, but they won't have helped their team. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, what I'm describing is a ranged assassin who, to work effectively, works well with others as a, like I said, sort of more of a support role. Yeah, and the, I think the second feature which influenced that design is that in Heroes of the Storm, you select your character prior to lobby. So you're never locked out of playing the character you wanted to use. Now, that's a feature that exists in League, but not in their ladder mode. And in Dota, it simply does not exist. There's Draft, and then there's a bunch of other pick modes, but you can get completely locked out of using the hero you wanted to use or the one you're practicing with. Right. And that forced Blizzard, from a design standpoint, to say, if we're going to let everybody choose their characters ahead of time, we have to have all the characters hybrid roles more so than they would in other MOBAs because we could get a situation where none of our supports are getting picked. It's like when you want to play a D&D game with your friends and everyone picks fighter. Exactly. You're like, we can't have a whole party of fighters. So you pick cleric, please. <laughs> yeah. Please, somebody, please. anyone. Meet somebody. me halfway. Paladin, someone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? yeah, and so I think... I'll let you play a druid, okay? <laughs> yeah, and I think that's why you, the characters in Heroes, to me, feel much more empowered than I do in Dota, where I know I need to focus on my character's strategy and I have a very limited toolkit that I need to be working with my team constantly to play. That said, I think Heroes of the Storm gets sold a little short as a MOBA with them saying, oh, with these, these changes made, it's so easy to get into and learn, it doesn't have a lot of depth. You're wrong, you haven't played it enough. When you get into playing in laddered or group matches in the ladder in Heroes, you will learn very, very quickly Team composition is just as significant as it is in Dota, and with many, many less heroes, because the game is in beta, those picks matter way more than normal. Mm -hmm. And the way you play in a team fight can win or lose you a team fight every time. Literally, it comes down to skill almost half the time, because level advantages are just, they don't exist. Dota's current meta broke snowballing, and now you have a lot of rubber banding that goes on where a team will try and get an advantage, but then because of the way experience works now with a new mechanic and the kind of bounty of experience it gives back for stopping somebody on a streak, mm -hmm. the other team will come back in because they'll suddenly level up very rapidly and push back against yeah, them. Yeah, I was watching um, when you were playing last weekend, actually, um, how far ahead your team was on level and then how quickly the other team progressed. Right, and so in Behind Heroes, you. that meta exists right now built into the game because you level as a team. Right. It's very difficult to get an extreme level disparity between you and the other team, and it encourages support-type characters who aren't directly team-fighting to go and do what they do. A good example of that in this is Zagara. Zagara is not actually a bad uh, teamfighter. She has a lot of great offensive abilities, but she's a seizure. She's a specialist who's really good at tearing down a buildings. Oh, a seizure. Seizure. A seizure? Siege-er. Seizure. Seizure. Okay. Are we talking about seizing? She lays siege to things. Late siege? Siege. Like under siege. Oh, the okay. Movie with Steven okay. Seagal. She's a seizure. <laughs> just, 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 she just epileptic. <laughs> like, she, yes. Are, yeah, she are, just, are there strobe lights all over the map? Yeah, is that what they every time. There's a bright flash. She just wiggles, which is horrifying because <laughs> she's a giant zerg. I, I think she's a queen. I don't actually know what Zagara is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, zerg queen. Yeah, so... She's this huge bug monster, and Zagara summons... Bug monster. Yeah, she summons minions. She, she can first create uh, some Zerglings, then she can make Hydralisks, and then she has the Banelings that run and blow things up. And she's really effective at pushing out lanes. And what's interesting in Heroes is that you can solo push lanes, which is something that exists in other MOBAs, but you can help your team by doing it. You're not just out there like, 
oh, I feel really confident about tearing down towers, I'm going to go and do this, and realize you've fucked your team by overextending and you can't take it back. In Heroes, there's always an incentive to keep pushing in every place that you can get it. Mm -hmm. So I think characters like that are given more room to shine, and because they don't have the burden of needing to be in every team fight in order to ensure an XP advantage, they can go and do that and push that strategic advantage and force the other team to split their numbers. Which to me is an interesting kind of change because it's pretty rare in a match of Dota, especially with the current meta, that anyone cares about the towers. Anyone cares about lane position. It's so, just team fight, team fight, team fight. Okay, so from from all of the different things that you've been you've been saying, is it sounds like as they're taking Dota and League and things like that, which are these, you know, very exclusive games. Basically, mm -hmm. you have to have a certain skill cap to play in the game. Yeah, high entry level. High game. entry level, and they're basically making it more accessible and they're adding things that make the game more fun to anybody who's playing it yeah so they're blizzardizing the game basically yeah. a huge change too are the map objectives um you were referencing garden of terror yep where essentially the map has <laughs> garden a garden of terror yeah <laughs> it is a day night cycle and at night a sweetly woman voice becomes this horrific monster voice and she talks about how her children need to rise. Apparently she's some kind of like plant monster queen. I think she might actually be on the map somewhere if you look around on the borders of the map. There's some like plant You know, I played god. that and I couldn't find her, so, yeah. you know. There's someone shouting at you about her children and what happens is these plant monsters rise up out of this beautiful garden you're in at night and you kill them and as you kill them you get seeds. If your team accumulates 100 seeds, somebody can go back to the base and get inside this like bushel of crap and you emerge from it as a giant plant monster that has a bunch of pure tower-sieging abilities. Uh, and, just a dis destruction machine. Yeah, it has a huge amount of health. It's okay at fighting heroes, not really great, but it will tear down enemy structures really, really fast, so it can push a lane out really, really fast, especially if it's supported. Now, either team can do this, so it creates an interesting strategic moment in the game where you leave three-lane combat and you fight over the pool of seeds first. So that creates a bunch of team fights kind of artificially because now there's a new resource to collect. Mm -hmm. And then it creates this nightmarish panic moment and terrible Sophie's Choice with, do we help our monster push or do we kill their monster? So is there a chance that there could be two monsters up at the same time? Yes. There is, yeah. yeah. Not initially, but once a couple of cycles have gone by because the seeds never go away. And you know what? I, I don't remember whether or not it was the, the seeds go into actually spawning the creature or making the creature more powerful. No, that's... So the seeds in this one do spawn it. The more power is the graveyard one. Yeah. They have a grave golem map, which is a two-lane map that has an underground section. And the call that you get in that map is every once in a while these gold mines open up and you can go down into the ground and kill skeletons underground and accumulate skulls. How, how does... I guess I would have to see how that looks in the game. That's, it's, it's basically like a two-screen map that yeah. one map is geographically above the other one on the map set. And what happens is when you go underground, you're basically teleported into this other section of the map you can't access. Okay. Gotcha. So, Which is nice, though, is that you will have uh, the two mini-maps... So you can track what's going on down on the underground minimap as well as up on your main two lanes. Interesting. And now in that it's, one... It's, it, you said it's a two-lane map? Yeah, the initial combat map is two lanes. Okay. And what ends up happening is the more skulls you get while you're underground... The more powerful your evil monster. Right. And so you'll know right away in that one a lot of times what choice to make. Like, oh, we only got 30 of the skulls. They got 70. We need to put bodies in front of their guy or it's going to traipse down our lane and kill us all. Right. And so, like, that's... That's an interesting tier to it that doesn't exist in Dota or League because they have Roshan, but that's not really, like, the same. He's basically, for those who, you, you guys don't play a lot of Dota, so Roshan's a giant monster in the middle of the map that you kill and you get an item that instantly resurrects you. He's very hard to kill. He gets harder to kill as the match goes on. Yeah. But if you take him, you have this huge advantage. That's about as deep as the objectives get in core play for those games. In Heroes, it's the the map has to become an active part of your strategy yeah. because um, the more that you develop the different options that are on the map, the stronger your passive minions become. And it's, it's this thing where you can just sit there and concentrate on the battles and fighting your opponents and, you know, controlling areas all you want. But if you don't study what the map does and how to best take advantage of it, the other team's going to steamroll you because they're going to develop, you know, three or four things on the map that just put them at an advantage 
no matter what. Yeah, the Pirate Bay map is one that comes to mind for me because in this one, you collect a currency that you pay a ghost pirate in the center of the map with. They're yes. like these gold coins. Ghost pirates. Yeah, and oh. he, he's really campy and hilarious, and he shouts at you <laughs> as the match is going on. And once you give him enough gold, he's like, all right, boys, let's lay into him. And the pirate ship turns and shells structures on the other side of the map, just laying waste to the other team's towers. Oh, I wish it was like uh, Return of the King, where just like the ghost ship turns and... <laughs> that just ghost ghosts pirates. pour out. Yeah, <laughs> really, really campy, like Scooby-Doo yeah. ghost pirates. <laughs> Whenever I hear the word ghost pirate, I think of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Their battle cry, those damn kids! <laughs> They're ghost pirates, Brock! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, Dean. <laughs> They're not ghosts or pirates. Now pull the handle and push the button. <laughs> <laughs> What does that do? Then they go to sleep. <laughs> God, Dean, sometimes it's like you're channeling dead crazy people. <laughs> I miss that show. Oh, man. Oh. Too bad Doc Hammer is a dick. Yeah, fuck you, Doc Hammer. Yeah, but um, we're talking about the Venture Brothers, by the way. Yeah. All of the people know. What's they, the matter? They don't I, know. I cut my tongue on my mask. <laughs> Just stop licking it. I can't. It's maddening. <laughs> you know what? Screw the rest of the episode. Let's just quote Adventure. <laughs> God. Yeah, so the heroes in it, too, I think they have a couple of appeals over these other games for me initially. One is that I'm a huge Blizzard fan. I have been forever right. playing all Did three franchises. Did we say that all the right characters now. are just mm. made up right of... Yeah all Blizzard intellectual property. Yeah, yeah. They use Diablo, StarCraft, and WarCraft, and they've fed into it. Obviously, once Overwatch goes live and becomes the raging success it is, I'm sure they will add Overwatch characters to it as well. And it's just, there's something really, like, basic, I'm playing with the toys in my toy box moments in it where you're like, oh, I want to see what happens when the Lich King faces off against Zagara, because I bet Arthas could kill a Zerg Queen. Or Diablo's gonna fight against Uther, because why the fuck not? And, like, it's just really satisfying to get those moments and to see those characters interact. So it's like Marvel versus Capcom. Where yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I just want to see these characters who are not from the same universe fight each other to the death. Yeah. Well, the strange thing is, is that in almost every time I've played, the computer will stack Uther Lightbringer and Diablo, Lord of Terror, right against me. And it's just like... <laughs> like those two guys should not be on the same team, even if they were from the universe. Well, it's universe. almost a bit of a compliment, you know? They've got to put aside their differences to put me down. Yeah. Yeah, well, Kerrigan. It's cool, too, because their their level of depth from which they're drawing from just goes, like, next level with them. Because, like, the individual moves characters use are drawn from the games from the IPs in those moves. Right. A great example, uh, uh, Sonya, who's the barbarian uh, in the game, uh, she... All three of the moves that she has are barbarian moves from the Diablo 3. So she has like a whirlwind attack, she has a spear on a chain that she can throw and like hook people with, and then she has the ground smash. Then Nova, who's the ghost, the uh, ghost. chick from StarCraft, yeah, she's got cloaking. She has an ultimate where she can call in a nuclear strike. Which is just the little red dot on the ground, isn't it? Yeah, it, it dots up and then this bomb falls and just lays waste. You have to wait a full 60 seconds for the... No, it is not that long at all. <laughs> yeah, that would not work out very well in this game. No. 60 seconds, a lot can happen. If somebody has four seconds to find you hiding in the trees, they will kill you. So. <laughs> can it be interrupted? Uh, no, you can't interrupt our ultimate. Once she drops it, you can move out of the way if you're not a building. If you're not a building. <laughs> yeah. Some of the ultimates, too, are really fun. You were playing Rainer's. His initial ultimate is the Guns of the Yamoto. So, uh, the Hyperion. Hyperion. Actually. Hyperion. Wait, seriously? Yeah. So you, you see... get to call in a battle sh- a uh, battle cruiser strafing run. Does Does anyone yell battle cruiser operational? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But it, it, well, the Hyperion that would be Duke's <clears throat> ship anyway, wouldn't it? A what now? What was the the captain of it? It was like Duke or something like that. Oh no, that Who's was like the southern guy. Oh, Jimmy, we're gonna work together at last. <laughs> but like, that's actually a. Uh, Titus. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, Titus, Titus is, is the criminal. There's the guy in uh, the first one. It's like, I want to say it's Edmund Duke or something, but he's like oh, the you're governor ta- of some place. Yeah. Um, um, oh, he's, it's at the beginning during the... Uh, the Arcturus. Arc- 
No, Octarius no. is the evil human. Guy. I don't know. Yeah, that is the the. He's talking about the one where it, it starts used in to the be trenches, on the and then all of the fire bat like explodes or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it zooms out, and they're like, "Well, fuck this planet. We're gonna nuke it. And we're gonna <laughs> well, leave." Well, those guys were actually Russian. Yeah, that's in, oh, that's they? in. Uh, Are you prepared War. to go all the way, Alexi? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, that's yeah. cinema. Oh, I remember watching that. Fuck that. Yes, no, but, uh, the aesthetic I in that one. I am prepared to go all the way. <laughs> <laughs> the aesthetic in that one's really good because you use the move and all you see actually is the shadow of the battle cruiser moving. Yeah, that, like indicates where it is, and then yeah. like the gunfire destroys things. His second ultimate is he calls in two of the uh, VTOL aircraft, banshees, from, the banshees. Yeah, and they just stalk and kill something for a certain amount of time. And eventually they can be permacloaked so the enemy can't see them and they fire faster. It's like a huge dick move. Like you yeah. call them in and you're just like, and I'm going to click on you and I'm going to forget because they're going to chase you all over the map. Nothing <laughs> will stop them and they'll kill you. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's very much player killer dick move. Yeah. Arthas, he has the initial ultimate. He calls in Syndragosa and she flies over and just it's this huge frost wave magic bomb as this dr- frigging Dracolich goes over the map and like murders everything in front of it. Then he has a second ultimate where he summons like an army of the dead, like the Death Knight move from WoW, where he just all these ghouls pop out of the ground and then go murder people. Uh, they're just they're really fun to use ultimates, and they're strategically implemented well, but they also are aesthetically implemented in a way that makes them entertaining to use. Yeah, I don't think there were. I don't remember seeing any ultimate use in the game that I watched you play, and if I did, I don't. I don't know if I noticed. Well, you watched me play Jaina, right? Yes. So when I held in the huge water elemental, oh, that was the ultimate I was using with her. Her oh, other okay. one is Ring of Frost. Neither of those are like terribly spectacular. Although that water elemental is bad. What is um? What is ETCs? Elitor and Chieftain. Elite he has a one move where he rocks out. Yeah. <laughs> it makes everyone around him dance uncontrollably, so they can't fight. Um, uh, it, as an AOE stun, it's actually one of the most brutal ultimates because if you have good team fight with you and he uses it, you can catch a bunch of people in it and they just get brutalized. It's a passive called Rockstar. So if you use an ability, like apparently everybody around you is just so jazzed up by so how awesome you are that they move faster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ETC is a he's a funny character in it. And it's like, it's really well constructed that way. Now, you had reacted to the hero's market in this as being something new to you. Yes, uh, not having been a part of a multiplayer online battle arena before, and also not being involved in anything that really made huge use of microtransactions, I was a bit taken aback, where they're like, okay, well here's the client for the game. But if you want three heroes, some skins, and a few other things, that's going to be the cost of a game. Yeah, and, and this uh, is just in the beta, though. But you'll get it when the game comes out. Any currency you spend right now in the beta will be refunded to you as an in-game currency. So you keep equivalent value, but it's not like they give you the cash back. So you go spend it somewhere else. Well, no, I mean they. If you say you buy skins or a character in the beta, mm-hmm. will you get the? in-game equivalent of those skins and character when the launch actually occurs. You get the value of them, okay. not the actual items. Okay. So. So, you, so you buy, like, three skins. You can then, when the game comes out, buy three skins. Right. If you spend $50 now, you will have $50 when the game goes live to spend again. Okay. That makes sense. And so, you know, say a character, um, your easy level characters, uh, it's going to be about three ninety nine for that character. Or you can spend 10,000 gold in-game currency. So, you know, there's a little bit of a trade-off there. But also, say, for just, like, maybe an hour and 45 minutes, maybe two hours of play last night, I ended up with 2,000 gold. So, you know, it's either a time investment or a money investment. But I was still I was still taken a little bit aback by that. Um, however, I, I can't say that Blizzard's not allowed to do microtransactions. Because they obviously understand the market. And they've they been obviously, doing it for a while. <laughs> they obviously understand their customer base. And they are just getting themselves braced and ready to catch big, ginormous bags of money. Oh, well, yeah. So here's my thing with it. One, the market in this basically mimics, mimics League. So it has a hero rotation. They give you five a week initially. If your meta level in the game is high enough, you unlock up to two more. So you'd be getting seven heroes to play with out of the pool for free each week. You can permanently unlock them with the in-game gold. Some of the characters' gold cost starts at about 2,000 gold, and then it goes up to 15,000 at the most expensive. The only logic I can see behind which characters cost more right now is which ones are the newest. Like, Sylvanas dropped on Tuesday. She's the most expensive character, in-game currency, and real cash currency in there. What's she at? Like, five, six bucks? Something like that? Uh, Or maybe more like I think she's $10 to buy, and then she's 15,000 in-game. The gold does not... But she's cheaper with her current bundle. 
yeah, you can bundle in and you get her with skins and other stuff, and it comes a little bit like progressively cheaper by spending more. Right. But um, with that, the gold does not come quickly in the game. The 2,000 you made early, you will make cash much faster in the beginning because your meta level is still giving you gold. Eventually, you're gated to where you have to be working up different heroes to get more gold to buy more characters. You and can also buy stim packs that increase your uh, XP and your gold farm rate. Yeah. So you can increase how quickly the characters are leveling. Telemetry, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> and they they do gate it. It's possible to do it in-game. They have daily quests that pop up that are things that reward you currency. And if you're playing all the time, you will make enough gold to keep buying characters. The trick with it is, is that they will say, okay, by f- 20, 40 hours in, if somebody really is enjoying this game and they haven't paid anything for it yet, because the game we should establish is free-to-play and will be at launch... They're not going to feel bad about paying $5 to play as one of their heroes in the game. Oh, it's going to be free to play? It's free to play. Like all other MOBAs, 100% free to play. But microtransactions. But microtransactions. I I can complain about the whole thing where one of the things I said was like, all right, if you unlocked everything in the game with real world currency, then you'd be, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you could buy this game three or four times over. Um, But... That's the trade-off, is that you can play it for free, but if you want to expand on your experience, then you invest in it with time or money. Um, you know, I can I can forgive that when it comes to microtransactions. I can forgive not having to buy the game, but you can do microtransactions to get more things. That's fine. It's when you have to throw down money for an initial investment and then pay more money to get more content. You just feel marketing people laughing at you. Well, yeah. the thing that I, I appreciate about it is that they're, they're building it as a platform. And platform-based games are going to eventually have either microtransactions or a subscription fee or something like that. You know there's always going to be updates. They're always going to be adding new heroes and maps. So to get back on that investment, they have to be adding content where you're giving them cash. I, for years, have not had a problem paying 15 a month for WoW. I get my money's worth out of that game consistently when I'm subscribed. Right. 15 a month in Heroes of the Storm could get me as many as three new heroes a month to play with. That's, that basically equates to a new hero every week that's not part of the rotation pool. I mean, right now, it would not take very long before I'd have the entire board of... I think they have, like, 31 heroes in the game right now. You'd have them all unlocked in a relatively short amount of time. Right. You know, another great example of that is the, the PSN network, because just in free content that I've gotten back... Has complete. I've completely sort of quote unquote made back my entire year subscription in free content that I get for just having PlayStation Plus. I mean, it is totally worth it anyways. Cause it's like what five bucks a month, and you yeah. figure you can get three free games every month. They're PlayStation Plus is the most about fifth, five bucks. You know, it is the most absurd thing on earth. I have no right. idea how they make any money on it at all. <laughs> Who cares? It's amazing. Like, <laughs> no I idea. So much. They're like, here's all of our great award winning games a month after they come out for free because we're Sony. Here's our hundred dollar bills we're burning. <laughs> 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 I think maybe it's called winning the console wars and it's always worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, I feel like the marketplace in it is pretty good. It feels very fair, which is nice because, you know, Blizzard, yeah. they got into this with Hearthstone with microtransactions and free to play and they did really well with that. It was well received. <laughs> Sorry, I just still have like, I just have the image in my mind of Sony just handing money to the people <laughs> that are playing Sony and just like, Looking at Microsoft, just like <laughs> handing us money. Mm. Well, kind yeah. of the way that they're doing it. Mm. What was going through my head? All in one place, honey. What was going through my head was that they have the, the, on your way out. <laughs> the actual, you know, game disc boxes, and they're just sitting there, you know, making it rain <laughs> with the game disc boxes. <laughs> she was just running down the street, throwing out Valiant Hearts codes over his head. <laughs> you know, the gamers are trying to catch him, but you know, every once in a while, somebody catches a box in the eye. Ah! Wait, 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 wait. I gotta stop this right there, because you just said Valiant Hearts. I haven't played it yet, but I watched James play it for like three hours, and <sighs> I have to legitimately say, it is a work of art. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, on the, it's on the, was it the UB art? It should be uh, in a yep. fucking museum. Yeah, it's on UB art engine, so everything that you're seeing is actually hand-drawn, right. like so, actual oh. art. <clears throat> yeah. But I mean, the experience of playing it yeah. is oh, yeah. art. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it, it's... I think I, I texted you about this when I first started playing. I'm uh, I'm a little bit more than three quarters of the way through the game. I finished the first three chapters, and I've gone like a little bit halfway through chapter four. And 
first of all, it's weird how many different things from World War One have been popping up in media for me recently, like reading stories, reading books, playing games, just it, synchronicity, just sort of popping up. If Andrew likes anything, it's mustard gas and trenches. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Second. <laughs> Zeppelins. Zeppelins, yeah. <laughs> and people who can't actually talk, they just mumble at things in the game. <laughs> yeah, they're just like, it's like, so, it's like, Sort of French, sort of German. <laughs> I was like, bah, 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 yeah, bah. I love when he says good yeah. dog. And it's, yeah. Bonjour. Bonjour. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> oh, oui. <laughs> um, but I love, I love that game. It's like a history lesson because you get these, you get the items in the game where, you know, you just pick stuff up and then you press a button and it gives you like the history of why that item is something that you picked up. Yeah. Like suspenders or socks or... Like, Wait a minute, who are these uh, Indian guys that I'm charging a trench with? Yeah. Well, turns out that these guys were the burkas and they were commendated left and right yeah. for their incredible ba- they bravery. They were great in the war. Yeah. But yeah, no, and I, you get this history lesson throughout, like, you go to a different battle, the Battle of the Somme, mm. and you can read about all of, like, the different aspects of why from, that battle is From so... actual correspondence, too. Right. Certain yeah. things are from actual correspondence. I don't know, the actual characters in the game are not based on real people that would have been a little too much i think that would have been too much (laughs) second i will say i'm kind of worried about myself because there's one point where the dog that you get to play with which i think is a great mechanic and i'll talk about that and james can talk about it as well you haven't played it yet danny has played it danny's beaten it Yeah. yeah yeah your wife has beaten it and i the dog gets stuck in some barbed wire, and there's, like, this yep. moment where you're like, oh, no, oh, no, there's a bomb falling, oh, fuck. And I'm, like, I'm literally there, like, no, kill the guy, save the dog. Kill the guy, save the dog. And I was like, you're not letting me mash buttons. You better not kill this fucking dog. Well, and it's, uh, it, I think the dog establishes an emotional connection with the game very, very quickly that takes it from this totally impenetrable concept. Like, I think... Now, generationally, imagining World War One, it's very alien to us. Yeah. World War Two resembles modern warfare. World War One does not because it is the bridging war. Right. And You're just thinking, why are they just sitting in trenches? Right. Like the the concepts of why the war was fought and all yeah. these other things are like things that just don't. They're not relatable now. And I, I didn't know about sapping before, which mm. is where you would you would tunnel <laughs> underneath tunnels, lay detonation detonating charges, and then get out. That's what the guys in Peaky Blinders did. Yeah, that's that I, I I made that connection afterwards, and I was just like, "What the fuck?" Right? That was a really messed up job. job. That's yeah. yeah. That's what I when I now when I hear war, that's what I think of because that's more fucked up to me in my mind than modern warfare. Yeah, World you War One is one of the blackest, yeah. darkest wars ever fought. Yeah. Being being a big history buff myself, I mean, I, in terms of the emotional involvement, it had me right from the get go. Mm-hmm. Um, so by the time the dog came in, I'm sitting there going, I'm a big man playing with video games. Um, I mean, I, I got to tell you that the, the game doesn't pull any punches at no. all, which is incredible from something that looks so cutesy that it can have such a huge emotional impact. I, but I, in terms of like, say, um, the, you know, separation and tactics, we're like, what the hell are you people doing? Yeah. And yet one of the first missions that you play was the invention of the creeping artillery bombardment yeah. where you fire some shells, you, t- you know, uh, send, you recalibrate and the next shells land further away from you than but you move the up. first ones yeah, and but... your infantry follow behind. Right. Well, the thing is, is that tactic was never developed until siege warfare became the horror show that it was. Mm. Well, what I like about the game is that it's basically a, I mean, it's, it's a side scrolling puzzle game mm-hmm. and it's, it's done in a way that I've not seen before. Um, you have it's challenging, the, but very satisfying. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it, there is a certain amount of challenge involved, but it's, it's. I never come up to a puzzle where I'm like, I can't figure this out. But I like it because it, it really does focus on the storytelling aspect of the game, um, and the fact that you have this uh, sort of double layer puzzle game where you have to work with the dog or your other character that you're working with, whether it's the French guy and the uh, American or what whatnot. Um, I think it also has one of my favorite sort of you have to dodge these attacks things ever <laughs> because there are these taxi uh, sequences, but they're playing it with you're, – you're driving in this taxi that's driven by this, um, I think, Belgian – Yep. Um, nurse and uh, student. She's a student. Yep. And she takes on the role of nurse throughout the game. True. But um, 
and you're driving and you have to dodge these uh, either cars or shells that are falling, but they're landing and hitting on time with very famous uh, orchestral pieces. Mm-hmm. So there's the yeah, yeah, and it's it is on time. And I I was playing it, and the first time I was like, I realized what was going on. I had a I was sitting there in my room in my boxers at like ten o'clock at night playing this with a big fucking smile on my face because yeah. I realized what they were doing and I just loved it. I well, just thought it was a oh, great mechanic. How many mechanic. people do you kill in that game? You don't kill anybody in the exactly. game. Exactly. It's a war game where you don't kill anyone. Well, and, okay, so this is... Well, th- sometimes you whack them with a spoon. Yeah, you hit them with a big wooden spoon. <laughs> I've seen that. <laughs> One of the things I find most interesting about this is this is a AAA produced title from Ubisoft, a company that could be less known for originality than pretty much any developer I can think of. <laughs> like, they've had two massively good games come out of UbiArt. I don't include Rayman for the fact that it's not for the UbiArt engine. It was developed for Rayman. The two games that have been unique that came out of it were Child of Light and... Valiant Hearts, and both of them are amazing, made by very small teams internally, passion projects at Ubisoft, that they green-lighted and were like, hey, we have this really cool concept we need to do, but it involves building a game engine and tons of actual, tangible artwork to use for the game, it'll take a lot of time, can we do it? And Ubisoft was like, shit, we got more money than anybody else, we're helping Shoe make it rain. So, (laughs) they were like, here's your cash, go do your passion project, and both of them have been amazing games, and it's like, guys... Maybe working on a game for 24 hours all around the world for an entire year is not getting you the best game because the 16 guys who made Valiant Hearts made something I remember. The 4200 who made Unity made me say, hopefully next year's Assassin's Creed is better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this is actually made by the same guys who did make, um, not just on the engine, but also the the Ubisoft... uh, studio was who made rayman as well yeah ubr it's its own team that actually works exclusively in the engine and on the art on head co- in montpellier in france yeah if you guys are looking for twitter uh definitely go and check out montpellier's masthead for the guys who work there and then follow them the shit they post coming out of that studio is hilarious they, oh. they have a lot of freedom <laughs> i'm just kind of I, how many different studios and devs does ubisoft <laughs> they weren't kidding with that the sun never set on Assassin's Creed. It literally didn't. They have so many studios worldwide that 24 hours a day all year there's someone working on Assassin's just, Creed. Just Rayman, just because I'm I'm now on Wikipedia, was developed by Ubisoft Montpellier, Ubisoft Milan, Ubisoft <laughs> Shanghai, Ubisoft Casablanca, Ubisoft <laughs> Bulgaria, and Ubisoft again, Romania. <laughs> like, and Bulgaria and Romania? They are yeah. seriously like the Casablanca. East India trading company of video games it's ridiculous <laughs> now, I, I thought to... I told you to never play that song in here again Sam <laughs> I want you to brace yourself for Ubisoft uh, get Casablanca it's all black and white inside the studio everything, <laughs> everything. <laughs> well all we do is drink gin and well, smoke you... cigarettes and play it again Sam let's work there <laughs> no, so, so you mean like the, the furniture and like the stuff on the wall no the air itself the very photons they're in black and white it's all comprehension so we got Valiant Hearts as PlayStation Plus free this month you guys have a couple more days in this month once this posts you'll actually have like literally the day it posts and the next day to yeah. go and download it if you don't have it get it unless they do the same thing that they did in March where they waited a little bit well it'll always be the first Tuesday so actually I guess they'll get more time because it won't roll over immediately right so you'll have like one last week to grab it definitely get it if you don't have it the other game I want to talk about today is an exclusive on Sony that is worth your money, and in my opinion, is the first game that justifies buying your PlayStation 4 for a AAA release. And that is Bloodborne. And holy fucking shit, is it the best video game I own. Holy God. Uh, apparently it, they mm. stole one of my nightmares right out of my head and <laughs> put it in the game. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. They The best video game you own on your PS4? or This is the best video game I own right now. Wow. It is amazing. It is so fucking good. From Software, just they hit something when they made Demon's Souls years ago that has taken a long time for people to catch on to how valuable it is. And Dark Souls had some rising popularity. Dark Souls 2 had some rising popularity. And those games pushed their development a little further. Bloodborne is what they can do totally unrestrained. Artistically, gameplay-wise, and... I'm assuming now financially because they had more than enough time and money to build this game from the previous release's success. And it is 
amazing. The game is beautiful to begin with. The way it looks visually completely supports the world and the feeling they want you to get across. It's a very unique looking world. It's this kind of bizarre Victorian steampunky horror. And the world is constantly reinforcing the number one aspect of the gameplay, which is fear. The game preys <laughs> upon uncertainty and fear the Kinda whole like time. Dead you're space in a, in a way. Way, way better than that. Because really? you can't meta a Dark Souls game because of how built into the game the metagame is. So when you're playing, you need to die constantly basically to learn things, whether you want to or not. You will be surprised by things. You won't know the patterns an enemy will use. You won't know where an attack will come from until it's murdered you. And then you remember it's there, and then the next time you'll come back. That's supported by the fact that there's a currency you have to collect. Previous games, Souls, and this one, Blood Echoes. Or as Reddit affectionately refers to them, Blochos. Blochos. <laughs> Blochos. <laughs> um, you, you pick up this currency, and if you die, it basically falls on the ground where you died. Something could pick it up and eat it. And then you either have to kill that monster or go pick it up in the next life. If you don't, you lose it forever. Right. And if they eat it, they get more powerful. They do. They get slightly more powerful every time you feed them more. And so you have to make sure that you, you kill them. Yeah, you were saying that they, you, they, you can like make mini bosses well, intentionally. Apparently that was a glitch because it should be removing the previous ones when you die. But I guess when the, the initial release pass that, patch that came out, they didn't. Like, it was cumulative in that monster. <laughs> so people had, like, died several times to the same thing and then, like, driven its level up to, like, whatever its cap was. And we're like, well, my game's ruined. I can't get past oh, it anymore. <laughs> but it doesn't do that anymore. Um, but so it takes Dark Souls' basic mechanic, which was this methodical approach to the game world that way, where everything's trying to kill you constantly. It's all terrifying. And it cranks all of those aspects to 11 in a bunch of really good ways. One, the art and design in this one can fully utilize the PlayStation 4, so it is visually gorgeous. It looks really good. It becomes impossible to distinguish enemies from the environment at times, which is something that is really hard to achieve in a video game, especially one that's lying, relying on atmosphere. And then, in addition to that, the gameplay that they can build into the PlayStation 4 can be much more responsive because the the animations and the tells the creatures use and you have to use can be much more elaborate. You don't get spattered with blood. You get drenched in blood. <laughs> the liquid effects on the blood are gory and just really, really, really good. I mean, you, you face something large and you got to get in close and do something awful to it. And you come away and you're like, wait a minute, I had a gray outfit, not scarlet. Yeah. <laughs> And the thing about it is the, the mechanics change that they made was very simple, but it drastically altered the way you play a Souls game. Previously to this, Dark Souls is like playing chess. You learn a pattern, you have to memorize a strategy to get around it, and then you execute that strategy with small variations depending on what your opponent does, but you try and execute it perfectly. And you try and control the pace. You try and slow the game down to what you can win. Bloodborne no longer lets you do that. You can't block... You have very few recovery mechanics, and the game eliminates the chance of you being tough enough to soak any damage. It, it implements a new system called Rally, where if you immediately hit an enemy after being hit, you get back some of the health you lost. If you do it repeatedly, you can recover up to almost all of the health you just lost. Mm -hmm. So it forces you to play very aggressive and naked. The review that IGN put up, they called the combat system in it basically a naked knife fight between two people because that is how every oh. fight feels. Oh, that makes me think of uh, Eastern Promises, oh. uh, the, uh, the bathhouse fight scene oh. with Vigo Mortensen. Oh, God. Oh, oh Vigo, we've all seen you drunk. Yeah, with <laughs> knives flying around it. Oh, God. And, like, it, it, the whole game like feels like that. <laughs> like you're on a razor's edge the whole time you're no, playing. No, stop talking about razors. Razors right on the balls. <laughs> oh, no. oh. Eight inch knife urethra. No, just shink. No. Oh. Yeah, but like paper cut right on top. And it's ah. I can go get my knives. In the room. <laughs> a whole and case for them. Oh. I, I love that on our podcast we can say the sentence. I'll go get my knives. They're right in the other. <laughs> <laughs> to be Work, fair, working with a chef. I, I am a professional chef. I need them. Yeah, I them for <laughs> part of my not job. Man murder. Generally, <laughs> they work for both. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I have like an archer style like kit that I can just like open up and throw and be like, here are my knives. What is what is the? Uh, there's a whole monologue in Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels 
about knives. One of the guys is a professional chef, and he just gives like they're like, "Why did you bring knives? Why didn't you bring a gun?" And he just goes on this whole like diatribe about knives, I love that. and then they're like, "Jesus Christ, you're insane!" Thank <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah, well, like. I don't know. I'm completely in love with the game and its difficulty. The fact that all the factors about it that made Dark Souls so much fun, that loop of frustration to overwhelming joy when you succeed, is so much higher in this. It's cranked so much higher, and the the tightrope you walk is so much more perilous that the success just feels like incredible achievement after achievement, and you eventually have reprogrammed yourself that failure no longer feels like failure. Now, when you you normally play games on whatever nightmare setting is the hardest, what are you playing this on? Well, Bloodborne has no difficulty setting, so it's just all difficult. <laughs> yeah. Technically, it does in that you can do things that make the game harder eventually. So, New Game Plus is in it. So, once you beat it and you go through the second time, it cranks its normal difficulty up to make everything have more health and hit harder. And it changes where the mobs are in the game, so everything you memorized last time, it won't necessarily help you. Hmm. Um, And then there are certain items you can use that not all of them even really provide an advantage. They just make it easier for the enemy to kill you. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, it's it's crazy. Um, What was the... You were telling me about um, our friend Pete, who was watching you play, Mm. and you were explaining it. You're like... It's talking. You're talking about how the fast ones. What was the story? You were oh telling? yeah, yeah. So Pete, Pete and David were watching me play the other night. We're sitting on the couch, and I was showing him the game, and they both really liked it. And we're watching it, and Pete commented that he can't handle the really fast, quiet enemies in the game. The things that like scurry and make no sound that you watch go by, and he, it freaks him out. Right, and then like in mid sentence, as I'm walking down an alley, there, I thought everything was fine to go pick up whatever glowing piece of treasure was at the end. I was telling him, <laughs> no, Pete, those are the bad ones. I was like, the little guys that scurry that are quiet aren't so bad, because at least they're small. It's the giant things that make no noise that really bother me. (laughs) And finishing my sentence and turning around, there was this werewolf creature the size of a fucking Buick that had now inhabited my only escape route. (laughs) Just like, slowly inching towards me with these huge, creepy blood-soaked claws. And it's like, how does it make no noise? And I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. Oh, man. Yeah, it's... And, like, the visual variety in it is pretty incredible within their own aesthetic they established because Yarnum, I would say much more than Alderlando, the world of Dark Souls, feels like a place. Like, I don't think I've been to a place that looks like Yarnum, even though it's referential of Victorian England and of fairy tales and mm-hmm. of various kinds of, like, Jack the Ripper type horror stories and things like that. Like, it, it has all these things that you sort of recognize, but it maintains this dreamlike quality of being utterly unique. Hmm. The thing that overwhelmingly supports that is how judicious they are in what it tells you about the world. The facts you get are always presented in a kind of vernacular in the game that only the characters in the game understand. So the entry level of understanding a conversation is really difficult. Like they, When you get there, they tell you, oh, why are you outside on the night of the hunt? But nobody tells you what the hunt is. <laughs> so like, there's all these people with locked doors like screaming behind them and telling you to go away. They won't go outside on the night of the hunt. And you're like, well, why did I show up now? What does this mean? <laughs> why am I here then? <laughs> and it will take you like many, many items to accumulate the understanding that, oh, the hunt is when the hunters, which I am one of, patrol the city to kill the beasts, which are the people infected with the, the scourge of the beast disease. And you don't even know why you're there initially. The opening cinematic is this creepy old man transfusing you with blood on a blood-soaked bed in a creepy Victorian hospital. Mm. And then these tiny little corpse baby things crawl all over you and you fall asleep. Like, <laughs> Sounds like the last vacation I went on. Wow. Where'd you go? <laughs> I don't remember. All I remember is waking Reggie up a couple months ago. Me Cor- corpse, with corpse corpse babies. babies. <laughs> what? Corpse babies. Maybe. What? That's what it has. Actually, those are the messengers in the game. So, like, in, in Dark Souls... What? The game has... Uh, corpse babies. The game has... Wait, a, wait, wait. Corpse babies or baby corpses? Corpse babies is a more accurate description. Okay. Because yeah. they're not dead babies. They are baby-sized corpses. This is a world that needs email. And if I, if I can be so bold, they're actually kind of adorable. Because if I could be so bold to they, say that baby corpses, nope, they are nope, your helpers. No, 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 no. Why I don't play these games? In the Souls games, you can leave like a blood stain or a chalk message to other people, 
And if they're playing the game online, they can see the message you left them in, the, in their version of the world. And they can even see a phantom of you, which is this like ghost version of yourself doing things. That's pretty cool. But that's like your only way natively to communicate with people unless you engage in multiplayer, which is kind of complicated. But when you leave messages in this one, these little child-sized corpse people come up out of the ground, out of pools of blood that they like boil out of, and they hold these big scrolls that they open, and that's what the messages are on. So they're called messengers. And you can get accessories for them. Like, my guys have little hats that they wear. They have these little, like, kind of vicar hats that they all have on. And, like, uh, Shuhei Yoshida, who we mentioned earlier, he was tweeting out this week because his guys have jars stuffed on their heads. Like, they're, like, confused <laughs> what they're doing, so there's big ceramic jars on them, and they bump into each other and stuff. <laughs> and, like, they're actually kind of funny. Like, they're also the shop. When you go to the hub world in it, they're in a bird bath getting drunk. And if you go up and talk to them, like, they're... So, baby corpse, corpse babies are the comic relief in this game. Yeah, which should yeah. probably give a little bit of an identi- or indication of uh, the tone that this game might have. Yeah. You know, there's probably somebody out there who's like, this sounds like my kind of game. <laughs> well, and I, There's a lot of people out there who have been saying that. I can tell you, too, anybody who played Dark Souls, definitely this was on your radar, but I know there were some people initially expressing reservation that it wouldn't be as hard because they had heard the combat was faster. That is not the case. It is severely harder. And it is faster, but for my money, it feels like playing Dark Souls. It's just a much more aggressively paced game. I would definitely play it. If for some reason you can't get on PS4, like you didn't buy one and you're not on the system, this is a game that I think justifies buying the system for. This is another quick topic I wanted to uh, bring up. Do you think we are at the point now where we will stop seeing any releases for previous consoles? No. No? How, how much longer do you think we're going to see split releases for PS3, PS4? Until they stop making so much fucking money on them. Hmm. I mean, PlayStation 2 was still getting releases two years ago. So the inst- That's insane. Yeah. and Well, I- and it, it has to do with the install base, like especially internationally. In the States, maybe it's going to die off in the next two or three years, but... Maybe not. There are just a lot of PlayStation 3s out there, and there are a lot of 360s. They sold tons of those motherfuckers. Well, yeah, 361 the last generation. Yeah. Uh, well, technically in sales, it didn't by the end. But right. it was dominant for so many years. Because so many, it was so saturated all Yeah, and Live is such a better online system in terms of its reliability. People trusted the brand, and they yeah. bought gold memberships, which were very expensive. And once they got kind of indoctrinated into that system. They didn't give it up. Yeah. There are tons of people still playing just on 360. And yeah. I don't know why you'd, you wouldn't want it. It's still a good system. Yeah. Well, see, that's my question is, uh, I, you know, you said that this is an exclusive PlayStation 4 release. Yeah. And then you're saying that you it's a game that finally uses all of the capacity that the PS4 has for graphical... Yeah, well, I don't even know if it's using all of it, but it uses well, significantly, a, a, a significantly more. It looks like a game on the current generation, and right. it looks like a step forward graphically. And it would be impossible on the last gen. Right. Yeah. So my question is, wh- when do you think that we'll start to see games, or maybe more studios, releasing games specifically for the current generation? I think this year is probably the turning point for that. There are a lot of games that aren't going cross-gen that we know in the release cycle. Yeah. Arkham Knight, Springfield Arkham Mind, Knight's that one, one of them, that yeah. one's, Witcher and is being cross-released, right? I have no I idea thought. anymore. I don't know what CD Project Red's doing. They keep putting <laughs> they, out press releases know? where they're like, all of our DLC is going to be free because we're in Europe and that's what we believe in. And they were like, turns out we can't afford to do that. We didn't mean free so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, guys, just shut up. Like, everyone's going to buy your game. We're really excited. Don't ruin it. Don't ruin it by talking too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah, because I'm... I, that... <clears throat> It's, you know what, what I'm about to say is very entitled, and I understand that, and I don't necessarily stand by what I'm saying, but I want to, <laughs> I, I want to see more games on the current generation because I want my money's worth for the, gener- or the, the console that I purchased. Yeah, I mean, I want to see more games that are just on this gen because I want to see games made for the architecture. Yeah. I want to see what they can do within this environment that makes right. it new and different. Right, exactly. That's Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I feel like at this point, I've gotten way more than my money's worth out of my PlayStation 4. As somebody who adopted it at launch, just in the games you that adopt- you, are you sure that that's adoption, Dad, or is that going to a breeder? No, into my television. You, you bought it. You, so you bought much. it. You so, bought it at birth. So, so instead of calling it early adoption, they should be like the console mill. Yeah, <laughs> when you yeah when you get it on release day or within a month of it. Yeah. Well, and like I, I mean, I feel like in the games I played, you didn't buy your console used. <laughs> well, in like the first year I had it, everybody 
for, for a pretty justified reason we're bitching, there aren't any exclusives on the PS4. There aren't really a lot of AAA releases. There aren't any that are native to the system. Like, well, why would you get it? That's to be expected, though, for the first year. Well, sort of, but, like, yeah. they had games that were playing that just didn't make it. I mean, we got a bunch of bullshit about launch titles that just didn't exist. Yeah. Drive Club, I'm looking at you. But, <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, they did that, and for all intents and purposes, there have really been no games on the PlayStation up until now that you couldn't own somewhere else or on a system you already owned. Right. And... It's, it was a hard sell that worked. Like, it, it's selling gangbusters with no AAA exclusives. I think a lot of that can be laid on the indies it had on it. There were a lot of people who yeah. were into the fact that the indie developers Axiom were being brought out mm, next, next week. Next week. That is the next week of Spring Fever is Axiom Verge. <laughs> and so, like, there were a lot of little indie games. Uh, I was playing, like, Resogun up until Bloodborne was probably one of the best games, if not the best, on PlayStation 4. That was free the month that it came out. Then you had, like, Mercenary Kings come out, you had Transistor, you had, you know, just, like, a litany of small indies that came out yeah. that were giving you a lot of games to play. So I don't think anybody who adopted early felt like they didn't get what, it, what was worth it for it. What's pissing me off now is we just keep re-releasing old games over and over again for no goddamn reason. Like, the Handsome Collection? Fuck yeah. off! Yeah, why, like, we saw that the Master Chief Collection didn't work, why would you keep doing that? Well, it's because assholes keep voting with their wallets and buying these games again. Like, I don't need Last Gen's Borderlands. I don't need the one you fucked up and released on Last Gen for no reason. I didn't buy it to plug my PlayStation 3 back in. Don't port it. Stop wasting time. I have (laughs) talked about this. I do want to see a collection of, like, Mass Effect, though. Because I do want to play this. I don't even care if they remaster you it. That's everybody else. But yeah. see, the way I feel about those, it's almost like a Criterion collection of games. Right. That there are games that are so good and some that of those... they need to be like remade over and over again. Yeah, in Mass Effect 1 and 2, that's far enough back that like there are people who maybe didn't play those. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't play... Uh, I played Mass Effect 1. I did not play Mass Effect 2. Didn't play three. Wow, that's a miserable way to experience that franchise. We, Shut I up. know. You just hate the Mako. I, I do like the Mako. <laughs> we talked about this. One is just, it's not a bad game. It's just like by far the worst in the right, trilogy. Right, right. Uh, that's right. Either way. But yeah. like, that's a collection where like there's some justification for it, especially with four on the way. Like, obviously, that's money that BioWare would be leaving on the table, not re releasing. Right. And I think, I think that they'll probably do it a few months before. Right. But there are some cash grabs that are being made that are just, like, absolute garbage. Like, God of War 3 <laughs> is getting a re-release remaster on PlayStation 4. That game's yeah. two years old. Who the uh, fuck cares? Like, aren't, aren't they, speaking of which, aren't they doing another Gears of War? Didn't they say that they were doing another Gears of War? Like Gears of War, so the... We had a conversation, like... Four weeks ago, maybe maybe a month ago, we were like, no, they're not doing another Gears of War. And then, like, the, like a they, few no, days later. they are doing another Gears of War, but the well, studio who's uh, making it said they're not doing a collection at that studio. Oh, okay. So they're like, we're making the next Gears of War, and it's going to be new and great, and we're not working on a collection, guys. But they worded it very specifically that way, like, we're not the ones making it, so it must not exist, right? No, I, I just thought, I thought it was funny. We had a conversation where it was like, "No, they're not doing this." They're like, yeah. "That that franchise is done." And then, like a few days later, there's a press release like, "Hey, guess what? We're uh, we're bringing it back." Yeah, I have such a love hate relationship with those games. <laughs> I th- I got Gears of War three used for like twelve bucks, and I feel like that was the perfect price to pay for that game <laughs> because that's I got twelve dollars worth of just playing multiplayer in horde mode all yeah. the time with James, and that's exactly what I like about it. Yeah, yeah. and ignoring the storyline. Well, but, like it gets to be kind of a problem because what we're gonna do is make you run around in the ass of a giant worm and get killed by its farts. It's genius. <laughs> Flazinski, thank you so much. What was the name of that fucking game? Was it Full Spectrum Warrior? I don't oh, know. This man. is randomly coming, coming to me. Did you ever play Full Spectrum Warrior? Yeah, way no. back in the day. It was, it was like right when the Iraq War started. Well, uh-huh. it was one of the first cover-based shooters. It yeah. was actually a really good game. It was, was a, a lot super of tactical, we, yeah. squad-based game yeah. gameplay. It was like one of the first games where there was actually a take-cover button, mm. and that's how you played the game. And so you'd, you'd have two four-man squads, and you could switch between like different uh, camera modes and what you controlled. So you'd have well, pretty much the same, every fight worked the same, which is really the game's downfall. You had one squad run up, take cover, take pot shots, 
and then the other squad would run around while they had covering fire, kill them, them, kill them. them. Just, yeah, just leapfrog. Oh, that's that's a satisfying curve for at least a couple of hours. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it wasn't bad. There had to have been some technology in development for that, but it really did feel like uh, a reality mimicking fiction because that was the first game where I got introduced to the concept of a blind fire. You just stick your weapon around a corner or up over something yeah. and squeeze off some rounds. And it was later that year that... Um, it came out that the Pentagon had been working with an independent contractor to build a weapon system that you could attach to oh, your yeah, carbine or your weapon. Camera on the so gun, you'd yeah. have a camera on the end of your gun so you could stick it around a corner and shoot at somebody. I don't know. Those games always kind of freaked me out more so than any Call of Duty games because it was almost too realistic. It's almost like how the, the Navy and the Army prey upon people who play video games and put like advertisements on PlayStation 4 and Xbox and they're like pe- they know people are playing video games where they're mimicking soldiers and running around shooting and then they throw a recruitment advertisement in there. Yeah, but I don't know. That, it, it, just, it, it obviously doesn't work. Like that's the thing about it is it's such like... I don't know about that, man. It clearly doesn't work. We have an understaffed military and Call of Duty is the highest selling franchise of all time. <laughs> it does not work. <laughs> like, Fair enough. And it, like, Fair and enough. That's the thing about it. It's like, yeah, it's kind of shitty when you're like, yeah, let me go in and play Call of Duty where all I do is kill brown people. What is up with this game? Uh, like, it's kind of crappy, but too, that's or... not why anyone plays those games. And you can acknowledge that they're politically garbage, but they're still great. So. Yeah. There's also, you could say Jingo that they, they could be an active <laughs> deterrent are. because... What's the average lifetime or the average <laughs> you know, play time for your average Call of Duty player? It's got to be like under a minute. Yeah. So like come and do this thing for real where there's only one life. Now making good soldiers. No. You're going to run out of you're going to run out of cover for longer than 30 seconds. Guess what? You're going to the hospital. Yeah. It just ma- yeah, it makes me think or of Avengers game a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're the best person in your ladder. Come to the special training. Or maybe camp. it doesn't make you think of the last starfighter. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh. <laughs> Let's watch that movie Last right now. Horror <laughs> pizza. I'll skip my meetings. I wish I could. I don't, I don't know what we're talking about. There's an oh 80s movie gosh, that so was made good. before you were born called The Last Starfighter about a kid who plays a video game and it's actually a recruitment tool for an alien race. And they're like, you're so good at this game. Come fly a spaceship and save yeah. our <laughs> He like gets the high score and they abduct Yay! him into his trailer park it's and like, like take him out in space. Star Wars meets the wizard. <laughs> is, is, he, is there a point where he has like a baseball card and he like sticks it into like the dash of the ship? Because I feel like that's something that would happen in the 80s. I mean, I'm not saying it didn't. But it has been a while since I've seen that movie. <laughs> I, all I remember about so that game when some, or the movie when somebody brings it up is doesn't the clone they leave behind to replace him like melt at some point in the movie? Oh I know it malfunctions so left long. and right. I have this like terrible memory of like it just like like horrifying everyone in the house by melting, and I don't know if I've crossed movies in my brain, but I do know in the last Starfighter they leave like a crappy clone replacement of him to, for his family to deal with. Yeah. All right. So, uh, if you've seen the uh, the last Starfighter, uh, you have some opinions. Why don't you share them with us? Let us know what you think. Yeah, in the comments here, if you guys love uh, uh, the last Starfighter, or you think you'd be good at saving the alien race through video games, do let us know. Uh, we're available on Facebook, Twitter. You can find us on YouTube, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Amateurs do two takes. There you go.